Hey, what's going on? It's Quinn David Furness. Welcome to my show. Quinn David Furness presents the Beantown Podcast. November 17th, 2023. What's going on? What's happening? How are you? My name is Quinn David Furness. Top 500 podcasts here on the north side of Chicago. And we are the 112th ranked comedy podcast in the great nation of Pakistan. Thank you, Hyderabad. Thank you, Karachi. Thank you, Khyber Pass. Thank you, Tibet and all those nether regions. Hinterlands, even. You know, I was first exposed to the word hinterlands in the uh, Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events book series. I think it's maybe the, the eighth or ninth book. They there's this whole that that book series is awesome man the the netflix series i felt did a solid job of it the jim carrey movie was okay but the you know the books themselves are fantastic i think it's like oh man let's let's do this before i even search anything what if we saw what i was gonna to finish my thought there's a um one of the books my my uh, shirt fell off my podcasting chair. I don't want to scrape up the wall here. One of the books in that series towards like the middle slash end, they are like part of a carny crew in a, in a circus. And they always say that they're set up in the hinterlands outside of town. And I always, you know, there's a lot of good imagery and stuff. Evocative, E-V-O-C-A-T-I-V-E. Um, imagery in those in those stories but essentially it's like they they get shacked up with count olaf in the ersatz elevator and his uh his uh girlfriend esme squalor and then i think they have to like escape or something and they end up in the hinterlands before they get to the hospital so i'm not going to be able to tell you the names of all these but let's just do a fun exercise here let's see it's our thanksgiving episode by the way we're going to be doing things I'm thankful for. Thankful for Beantown. Hashtag thankful for Beantown. And we're drinking a Lagunitas Maximus here. Colossal IPA, 9%. This is the definition of dangerous here. Because all I've had today was uh, toast with eggs and bacon. And then I had a couple chips right before I came on. So we're really going to have to pace ourselves. Plus, I got to work in the morning, unfortunately. Six-day work week. That's tough. You know, it's always tough coming back to work, coming off a of vacation even tougher when it's a six-day work week. So let's see. Live now on Quinn David Furness presents the Beantown Podcast. And uh, before we do that, listener discretion is advised. When you're listening to this program, number one, we'll occasionally some language. Number two, this podcast is objectively terrible. Quinn sits down to start the show, and this will be in place of palindrome of the day today. No palindromes. They do have trivia for you, Thanksgiving-related. Quinn attempts to name all or uh, at least describe all of the books in the lemony snickets a series of unfortunate events book series and i think i think the helpful thing i have going for me is it will twofold one i believe that there's 13 books because 13 is makes sense it's it's a you know series that's all about misery and bad fortune misfortune unfortunate events and Really a brilliant series. There, I mean, has there ever been anything else quite like that? The just like black, dark comedy that it represents? Um, lots of like wholesome moments, but just so much misery. But he steers the ship home and he does a good job with it too. It's a, it's just a, man, I would reread that series 
if I could like easily access it, I don't want to be like lugging around 13 books. I read it, you know, when they were coming out. I remember being a kid. That was probably like the only book series, if I recall off the top of my head, where I was actually like, oh, this new one came out. We got to go to Barnes & Noble. We got to get it. We got to get it. I don't think we were waiting around uh, for those to come out to the library. I think we were physically buying those books when they would be released. I don't remember like when I started reading them, where exactly they were in this series, but probably towards the middle and then followed it every time, you know, every year one came out, whatever it was. Okay. So it starts off with a bad beginning and that's basically like their parents die in the fire while they're at the beach. Who do we got? We got Violet, Klaus and Sonny, the three Baudelaire children. And they have to go live with their Count Olaf, who is maybe their uncle, but probably not. And uh, Mr. Poe is like a banker who's, in charge of the family, basically family finances. And, uh, Count Olaf has the, uh, the eye tattoo on his ankle and he apparently is their guardian now. And he's played by Jim Carrey in the uh, film from maybe, gosh, it's probably already been what over 15 years ago. And then, uh, what's his name? Broadway guy from how I met your mother, Neil Patrick Harris in the Netflix series, which is probably what, like three years old now. Uh, but that, that one was done very well, I thought. Okay, so you have the bad beginning. Count Olaf sets up a play with his theatrical troupe, T-R-O-U-P-E. And we're not going to do this with every book because I don't remember all of them. But basically at the uh, climax of the play, Count Olaf is supposed to marry Violet and that uh, hands over the Baudelaire family fortune to Count Olaf, and that's his scheme. There's always a scheme in these books. At least the first probably like six or seven follow a very kind of structured narrative, maybe like four or five. And then after that, it really kind of expands, and it's not just the same kind of thing over and over again. So the second one is the one with the snake, right? Uh, the second one is the, oh, what's it called? I don't know. But it, yeah, he, they go live with their uncle Monty, who is a herpetologist. There's a word for you. H-E-R-P-A-T-O-L-O-G-I-S-T. I think I got it right. Herpetologist, the study of reptiles. Um, I don't even remember what it's called. But um, yeah, that's, uh, that's the second one, I think. And uh, Count Olaf murders him. There's this big snake that they think is going to eat Sonny, but it turns out he's uh, he's perfectly harmless. That one's the probably the most frustrating one because Uncle Monty, he might be portrayed by um, Taika or whatever his name is, the New Zealand guy, Waikiki. I think he's portrayed by him in the Netflix series, if I recall correctly. He's on Count Olaf, but not in the way that the Baudelaire children are. He thinks that he's an imposter there to steal reptilian secrets. So he's also like just as um, suspicious of Count Olaf as the children are just for different reasons, but it doesn't matter because he still gets murdered. So it's too bad. The third one, I think, is the wide window in the Jim Carrey movie. They get Joan Cusack to play their aunt, and that one's pretty sad too because at the climax there's like a hurricane and the window gets knocked out and the aunt like goes on a boat to try to find her like husband who drowned or something like that and she gets eaten by leeches it's pretty wild stuff man count olaf's alias in that one is captain sham he always has an alias i don't recall what his alias is in the second one with the with the with the reptile the reptile room i think is that what it's called 
the reptile room, the wide window. The fourth one is the miserable mill. Is that right? That one's pretty wild. I think that's maybe the intro to Esme's squalor. They go work at a lumber mill and they get like hypnotized by this optometrist or something. And uh, the, the plot of that one is really kind of fuzzy to me. I don't really remember exactly what happens in the miserable mill. I think that's the fourth one though. Okay, this is where it's going to start to get bad. I think the fifth one, I, I'm missing one because I think the Ursat's Elevator is seven. The Austere Academy is right before that. Cake sniffing orphans in the orphan shack. A great, great line. One of the little kids, like the, the secondary villain in that book is like this eight-year-old girl, and she keeps yelling that at them. That's when they meet the other triplets, they're friends at the Austere Academy, so I'm 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 missing one. I think number five I'm missing. So we're just gonna we're gonna plow through this and then you know see where we messed up and stuff. But six I think is the Austere Academy. It's bugging me that I can't remember five, but it is what it is. You know what? I'm not gonna remember now. Seven I think is the Irsats elevator. They get like trapped in the bottom of the elevator shaft, and uh, that's where you meet Esme and Jerome Squalor. Jerome's like a good guy, and Esme's secretly dating Count Olaf on the side, and I don't know, Jerome probably dies, but I can't really remember. Then there's eight. That's got to be the, 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 there's, it's like a, it's a, it's a, eight and nine, they're in the hinterlands. One of them is the one with the carnival, and then the other one is the hospital. I think eight is the one with the town. There's like these weird crow statues in the city. Um, I have no idea what it's called, though. We'll find out in a second. Nine, I think, is the hospital one. And then here, 10, 11, 12, 13 is where it gets really fuzzy for me because these are things I just like read once, plowed through them, and never really looked back at. 10, after the hospital one, is one where they're like driving cars up a cliff the whole time. And it's like icy. I have no idea what it's called. Then there's three more after that. 11 is like the Grim Grotto or something like that. 12, I have no idea what it's called. 11, the Grim Grotto, there's like a mushroom outbreak. They're underwater and it like gets in Sunny's helmet and she's going to die, but she doesn't. It's okay. And then 12, I have no idea. I think the 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 penultimate peril maybe. Is that what it's called? I have no idea. We're going to check in a second here. And then the last one is just called The End. And I think at the end of the books, Count Olaf ends up like... He's like so he's become such like a deranged shell of himself kind of guy that they like take pity on him and he's not even like trying to hurt them anymore. And I don't think they're like buddies or anything, but it's like he doesn't go down swinging. Essentially, it's kind of weird. OK, we're 11 minutes in here. We're going to we're going to wrap this up so we can get to our things I'm thankful for in our trivia. OK, here we go. Let's see how let's see how I did. Let's get these. Where are they? OK. Number one, The Bad Beginning, 1999 is when it started. Number two, The Reptile Room. Number three, oh, I missed, I was off. Okay, here's, I, I understand, okay. Number one, The Bad Beginning. Number two, The Reptile Room. Number three, The Wide Window. Number four, The Miserable Mill. Austere Academy was next. It was five, so we didn't miss anything there. Um, six, The Ursat's Elevator, so we got the order right. Here's where I got slightly confused. I thought the village one and the hospital one were the same, but they're not. There's the vile village, which is seven. That's like the first. I guess that's not quite the hinterlands yet. I think the hinterlands is is nine. Eight is the hostile hospital. 
9, the Carnivorous Carnival. That's the Hinterlands one. 10, the Slippery Slope. 11, the Grim Grotto. Well, I nailed the ending. 11, the Grim Grotto. 12, the Penultimate Peril. I have no idea what happens in that one. And then uh, 13, the end. Penultimate Peril. <coughs> penultimate. Penultimate Peril, I can't say it, is a, uh, is a uh, hotel one, I think. And then what do you think happens in the end? What happens to Count Olaf? He has like a long-lost honey kit snicket who is like his honey and maybe has his kid and Count Olaf dies, it looks like. I don't really know why he dies. Maybe the, this fungus that they found in the Grim Grotto. I don't know. But yeah, if hey, if you've never... Uh, the end, the last book in the series came out in 2006, by the way. So yeah, I probably started reading them. They 13 of them came out in a span of seven years. That's pretty, that's pretty hardcore. I probably picked up on them, you know, like 2004, something like that. So middle towards the end. Uh, boy, I had uh, no plans to, I don't have no recollection of how we got to Lemony Snicket, the series of unfortunate events, but we spent the last 12 minutes to st- open the show just talking about that. Um, let's shout out to our, cause I don't want this show to go too long today. And obviously we say that pretty much every episode and sometimes it's true. Sometimes it's not. Uh, but you know what? I'm feeling like long week, got to work tomorrow. Just trying to chill a little bit, give you a little, you know, this is like your Thanksgiving appetizer. Consider the Beantown podcast, like some stuffing and, you know, a nice fall salad, All right? It's not going to be the main course not going to be what you fill up on right it's not it's not your it's not tryptophanic if you will there's a good word for you t-r-y-p-t-o pay time off um p-h-a-n-i-c tryptophanic but you know it's a nice it's a nice little cleanse the palate type of guy kind of like this lagunitas maximus i'm sipping down so shout out to our friends uh thank you for supporting our show home pride oregon when you need your home inspected in Central Oregon, call someone who's safe, someone who's certified, doubly insured. Guys, when you're buying a house, these are big-time decisions uh, that you got to take seriously. Speaking of big-time decisions, put a uh, deposit down on a wedding venue today, which is crazy. Um, over, I, I guess I won't talk about like how much it was, but just a lot of money. So pretty wild stuff, man. Um, so yeah, Home Pride Oregon, uh, big Big uh, costs, trust a big expert, Steve, 541-410-0316, or go to HomePrideOregon.com, or email HomePrideOregon at gmail.com. And of course, our good our Home Pride Oregon inspection, perfection. And of course, our good friends at the Samson Q2U series, been with us for uh, almost six full seasons now. We're getting ready to start season 10 here, or seven, not 10. Jumped the gun a little bit. In uh, what, like five, six weeks, we'll be into... Uh, Season 7 territory, which is pretty exciting. Lucky number 7. When God speaks, he uses a Samson. And, of course, our good friends at Cuts by Q. Just did a little light, uh, lice. I, lice. I can't speak. I saw this video on Reddit. It was like a guy in the Middle East or something who went to the barber shop. And the barber was taking the video. And the guy had just a, the most severe case of lice I've ever seen. It was absolutely crazy. At, at that point, it's like, what do you even do? Do you just like... I mean, he was sitting in the barbershop, which is probably what you're not supposed to be doing. But I feel like if I had lice that bad, first thing I would try the mayo trick, which is where you're supposed to just like 
cover your head in mayonnaise. I guess the nice thing with lice, my understanding is they don't really like, they're not like spreading to the rest of your body. They just like love your hair and love your head. So they just kind of live there, which, you know, good things and bad things. But it's nice that they're like, imagine if they just like decided we're going to crawl down to your toes. That would be pretty tough. I guess you're supposed to just, um, you know, cover your head in mayonnaise and then put, put like a plastic bag over your head. Although I guess it can't go all the way because then you'd suffocate. But, and then leave it for like 20 minutes or something. Then you wash it out and apparently that, that kills them. I think what I would do, I would probably start with that first. I would try that. But then if, you know, push came to shove, I don't value my hair that much. Like, let's just go out into a field, put on uh, some of those, you know, the person with the razor can put on some of those beekeeper suits, the apiarist suits, and just go to town on my head. And then probably burn the razor and the, the apiarist suit. And the lice can just go from the hair into the field, and they can live a happy, healthy life. I I don't know. I don't imagine lice live that long. But what happens? You know, obviously, this is like what most people would probably do. If you have really bad lice, if you just like go take a shower, do they just like survive? Because I imagine with all the you know water and scrubbing and stuff, is it it's just a situation where it's like, well, you can't get every single one, and they'll reproduce? I don't know. I've never really researched this before. Having lice, lice shower, having lice was one of those things you like saw in children's shows or read about in books as a kid, but it never actually happened to me. And um, let's see, can hot water kill lice in the shower? It seems like they won't drown. You actually have to like burn them to death. And so apparently like just taking a shower doesn't work. So interesting stuff, man. Dude, lice are crazy. We should have should have extincted those things a long time ago. Cuts by Q, when you need a fresh do something snappy or new, call the experts at Cuts by Q. And hey, if lice treatment, I know we always advertise a $20 flat rate, but if we're going to go through the whole getting on the apiary suit, finding an open field, you know, you got to get some kindling to start a fire if you're going to burn that stuff afterwards. Not to mention a tub of mayonnaise probably runs you what? I suppose you'd want to use Hellman's for something like that. Five bucks, six, seven if you do the jumbo tub. Now, you, hey, you might only use half of it, but, you know, we're still talking three, four bucks probably. So all things considered doing my math we're talking like 37.99 i think for head lice treatment so i'll update the website when i get around to it but uh thankful for beantown thankful for the uh cuts by q barbershop boutique okay let's talk a couple things that i'm thankful for here on our beantown podcast thanksgiving special first and foremost fresh vegetables had some really nice uh, carrots a good crunch in my uh fried rice that I meal prepped uh, this past Monday and had for suppers this week. And, you know, it was nice to have those fresh vegetables because when we were in Puerto Rico, it was like very few fresh vegetables, not a ton of fresh much across the board. It's just sort of island living. But, you know, it reminded me of how when I was a kid too, and, you know, we never had money to really have fresh vegetables for the most part. And so you're, you're constantly just, you know, it's like it'd be dinner time and, 
your mom or dad says, hey, come to the dinner table, and you show up, and it's really just kind of like a bag of Doritos, some Jolly Ranchers, and like some Diet Mountain Dukes. That's really like all you can afford, you know, when you're lower income growing up. And so I think finally when I got to like college and I learned that there were like, oh, you could actually have uh, tomatoes that were fresh or there's there's fruit that's, you know, fresh and it doesn't come in like those dole cups with just all the pineapple juice and stuff. And it's not just like juice concentrate, but you could actually like juice, you know, vegetables yourself. And so when you can actually get like fresh stuff, like grow it yourself from a garden, being able to have um, like those fresh vegetables um, as an adult is something that I, I really appreciate now. So, um, you know, it's it's no shade to anyone. That's just the you got to do what you got to do to support your family. But fresh vegetables makes a huge difference. The next thing on my list, artisan cheeses. I don't, I was just kind of feeling inspired when I wrote it. I don't I don't buy many artisan cheeses, although I did buy a wedge of uh, brie at the grocery store this afternoon, getting ready to make a nice fall harvest salad for a uh, Thanksgiving dinner tomorrow. It's just a little uh, spring mix with, excuse me, some chopped walnuts and dried cranberries and, uh, well, the brie, and then a nice little sauce. Got some serious belching going on over here of like, uh, you know, like honey, or maybe not honey mustard, like Dijon mustard and olive oil and apple cider vinegar, you know, that kind of thing, just kind of bright. It's really going to, it's really going to elevate the uh, walnuts, I think. And then uh, an apple, a honey crisp apple. And I got a smaller other one, like a Fuji or something too. Just dice it, slice it nice and thin. adds a little, uh, you know, bright crunch. And I think that that, those apples in particular are really going to soak up the apple cider vinegar. And it's going to be very light, very bright, very crisp. It's vegan. It's vegetarian. And it's going to be delicious. So looking forward to making that tomorrow. But... Artisan cheeses, not just any cheese. It's got to be artisanal. A R T I S I N A L. I don't really know what makes something artisanal versus non-artisanal. If you ask me to define our our, okay, let's do this. Everyone at home, email us beantownpodcast at yahoo dot com again. That's beantown b e a n t podcast at yahoo dot com without looking anything up. Give us your best definition of artisanal. Or if it's if the definition of artisanal is like comes from an artisan, then give us your best definition of artisan. I don't know what we're gonna find when we do this Google search in a second here. If you ask me right here, right now, point blank, what does it mean to be artisanal? I would say like made by hand, local, not mass produced, not in a factory. Basically, whatever the opposite of factory production is, that's what I think of when I think of like artisanal. It probably needs to be produced or crafted by, um, you know, the Amish or the Mennonites or any one of those sects, uh, S-E-C-T-S. Okay, define, let's find out here. So everyone get your emails in. Define artisanal. Here we go. Per OxfordLanguages.com, relating to, uh, I knew this was going to happen, relating to or characteristic an artisan. Okay, so we click on artisan. Artisan, a worker in a skilled trade, especially one that involves making things by hand. Hey, I, I think we're pretty close. Sometimes there are fancy words like artisan where you try to come up with a definition and it's like halfway there, but you didn't really capture the spirit of it. I feel like we captured the spirit of the artisan uh, with that uh, off the top of my head 
definition. So I feel pretty good about that. Uh, next thing I'm thankful for here on the Bean Tom podcast, that little thing maybe has a name, I don't know, but you, you wear, and I've never worn one, but I imagine I would be thankful for it. And I am thankful for it, even if I haven't used one, when you're for your harmonica while you're playing piano or guitar, so that you can do like a little Bob Dylan action. You can be strumming and you can be playing. Harmonica is one of those things I got to figure out. First, I got to buy a harmonica. I think there are different kinds of harmonicas, though, right? Like different tunings. And then I got to figure out how to actually make it sound good because I've never tried to be good at playing a harmonica and I haven't actually touched one or picked one up in probably 10 years. But I feel like it's one of those things that can't be that hard to at least like get comfortable playing one. There's only so many holes and people play them without their hands even. Your hands aren't even like doing anything. It's all like your mouth and what holes you blow into. So it can't, I understand there's a big difference between like just being able to produce a sound that you want and like actually being able to play music well, but, um, it can't be that tough, right? Like on the scale of easy instruments to hard instruments, I think triangle is probably at the bottom. I think harmonica is slightly above it. And then you get into like French horns, pretty tough. I've heard piano is a piano i think is one of the easiest instruments to like start to play and make sound from obviously probably the hardest instrument though to master you show me like a rachmaninoff piano sonata like piano sonata three by or um concerto number three by rachmaninoff and you compare that to the though this was always my point of contention as a music student i wasn't trying to like win any battles i was just saying like I picked the hardest instrument over here. Yeah, anyone can like play jingle bells and dink out some notes, and that's great. And it's a very accessible instrument, which is awesome. But the like peak of the instrument, compare that, you know, to like the peak of any other instrument. I'll I'll go toe to toe with a French horn, with a trombone, with a violin. Even those kind of like big, long, sappy, you know, violin concertos or sonatas from uh Dvorak or whatever like no dude you look at like a a, a list sonata or you know uh, the Chopin uh Billads and, and Scherzi or the Rachmaninoff piano concertos or you know uh Scrabin or any of those other Russian guys like it's not even close the peak of this stuff is so difficult it's insane mini rant over but yeah if i uh if i bought a harmonica then i would have to buy one of those little things that hangs around your uh your neck so you could play the harmonica while you're playing piano without uh hands free because your hands are going to be busy playing you know you could probably do like what you know so when you play piano concertos and you're practicing it's like the orchestra version gets rendered down to a, another piano accompaniment so it's like that's how you can practice because you can't just practice with an orchestra you have to practice with another pianist but what if you know, on the piano you played the orchestra part by yourself but then you played the piano part on the harmonica now obviously you can't do uh you, you don't have 10 fingers you just have one mouth to blow but you could just do the melody one mouth to blow sounds like a porn parody of a soap opera which soap operas don't even really need or you, like porn parodies to begin with because there's a lot of tender smooching already going on but yeah Rachmaninoff piano concerto number three on harmonica 
curious what would come up if you did a YouTube search. I'll check in on that later. Let's move ahead here. Uh, anything barrel aged. I don't think I've ever drank, eaten, tasted broadly anything that was aged in a barrel where I said, man, I wish this wasn't aged in a barrel. I don't even really know what's going on inside of that barrel. Do you just put it in there or do you have to mix it with other stuff? But man, I I still think of, the, I don't know why this is really like a formative memory for me, but right when my parents moved out to Oregon, uh, I used to go with you know some frequency back when I was in college and uh, Day Shoots Brewing out there. They used to, their tap room used to just be like, come do a free flight essentially it wasn't like a full pour you know you'd probably get a bunch of like it's probably like four four ounce pours or something like that but you just literally show up and get like a free whatever it was 16 ounces of beer and we did that a couple times and i remember once they had a release a limited release of their abyss beer two of them i think and you could select any of the four in your flight and i remember one i think where i was like an ipa and then the Abyss, which is, I don't know, probably like 8 or 9%. And then their two limited releases were both barrel-aged. And one was uh, aged in rye barrels. And one was aged in, oh man, I don't even know, something else. But just absolutely delicious. Rye and scotch, maybe. Variations on whiskey. And those things were like 12%, something like that. And so you go there, you drink a free like 16 ounces total of beer and you're like you're not drunk by the time you finish, but your your head's feeling pretty toasty as you walk out into the uh, the crisp mountain air. And ever since then, I've been hooked on barrels. Okay, barrels of monkeys, Donkey Kong, you know, whatever. You know, I love when you go to a brew pub and there are no seats, but there's like a barrel and you can just stand next to it and put your drink on it. I feel like we don't, you know, we don't do that much with barrels in our society these days, but I would really love it. I feel like uh, we were in, the, you know, San Juan a couple weeks ago, I guess just last week to the week before, and we went to uh, see some of the old uh, Spanish forts there. And, you know, there's all sorts of cannons and ramparts, R-A-M-P-A-R-T. And that would be a good spot for some barrels, I think, frankly. To just have, uh, you know, to have a bunch of barrels rolling up and down would be nice. So, yeah, anything barrel-aged I'm a big, big personal fan of. Moving ahead here, Thursday Night Football. Look, I, I recognize the, like, hey, I don't want to be, like, a addicted football is my only passion this time of year kind of guy. Like, Sundays, I got to watch nine straight hours of football. Like, I, I want to actively discourage myself from doing that but i also recognize like i really love watching football man and fantasy's fun and even like last night you know after a kickball game watching with a bunch of you know friends and stuff at the bar and uh had like one or two fantasy players going but i didn't have any money or anything but it's just like fun to be around them and they're you know cheering and then groaning and you know depending on what's happening in the game and it's it's thursday night man it's like the start of the weekend almost Sometimes you get some really crappy games, but even that, it's it's kind of fun because there's so many. It's look, it's obviously fun when a primetime game that's all by itself is like a really solid game and fun to watch and entertaining. I get that, but there's also some level of charm when you get like Bears versus Panthers last week. Excuse me, and it's just absolutely trash football, 
because you're watching and it's like these two teams do not deserve to be highlighted in prime time in any any circumstance or instance but we're getting to see this just two terrible coaches two terrible teams and all their you know prime time glory nothing else to distract you you can't flip the channel over to the other you know fox or cbs and you get you know a, a like buccaneer saints game that's at least like high scoring and competitive you gotta you gotta sit through this so even like last night mark andrews out for the season joe burrow out for the season they get knocked out last night like pretty terrible and uh, you know teams have to rush to play and get ready and stuff and that's not fun at all but you know what it's uh it's football i'll watch it I I would I will say this I hate when my team has to play on Thursday night football. The Vikings just had one game this year, and that was against the Eagles in Week Two. So we got it right out of the way, which was nice. Because um, I hate, and I frankly I don't like having my fantasy players on Thursday night either. Because the like low of uh, the low feeling of someone performing terribly is so much lower than the high feeling of someone performing very well. That's maybe that's just like a look into my psyche more than anything. I don't know, but. But uh, it's just fun to fun to have on, fun to have something to watch. I guess especially here in Chicago when it's like this time of year, real bad. You got the Bears. Not that I'm a Bears fan, but just the the you know the city who were who were rooting for the Bears, the uh, Bulls, and the Blackhawks. So collectively, probably sitting around like a two fifty win percentage. Not uh, not very strong, so not good. Um, I would say this, my technologies, but then I wanted to add something on top of that that's not technology, but technologies that have died, that should have died years ago, but they haven't. So number one right here, MacBook Pro, baby. We're well into our, what are we on, our 11th year now. Still kicking. I, I recognize at the beginning of the show, and I can't really control this. I can't figure out why it is, but it's not new. It's been going on for years. It, like, cuts out a little bit at the beginning of our episodes. Um, so I'm not going to sit here and say, like, oh, this thing's perfect. No problems. But I think as as it goes on and on, as you get into the show, it does just fine. So I don't have an explanation for that. It's, it's not like something happens while I'm recording where I'm like, oh, that's going to be a skip or that's going to cut out. It doesn't look any different or anything, so it just is what it is. But MacBook Pro still going strong. My uh, Amazon Fire tablet, so when I lived in Baltimore, when we started the show, I had a work-sponsored iPad, a work-provided iPad. Obviously, I had to give it up when I moved back to Chicago, and I just bought like a like a $35, $40 Amazon Fire. I don't even know what edition. Nothing special at all. It's always been kind of slow, especially compared to an iPad. Like, I remember talking to a friend of the show, Matthew Fiedler, like, the summer I moved back, and I'd had the tablet for, like, two weeks or something. It was super slow. And I was like, this is not normal. What's going on? So can you ever use it to, like, watch the game or stream YouTube or something? Absolutely not. But have I been playing Toon Blast on that thing? Well, I started when I lived in Baltimore on my iPad, and then I lost my account, so I had to start a new one, Monty's Revenge. And we are on, what, year five of that right now? Still killing it in Tune Blast, and when I'm on flights, I'll, uh, you know, run out of lives and stuff, and I'll have to play my my word puzzles and my uh, unblock me games. But still going. It's still slow as hell, but it works because it's not like oh gosh, it's really slow now. No, it's just as slow as it was five years ago, and it still works just fine. The one other thing I want to mention that wasn't actually technology, but it's still going strong. My backpack. 
In fact, I, ha I have no idea who it was, what context. It was like a stranger on the street or something. But uh, maybe like a month ago, they were like, oh, that's a nice backpack. Where is that from? And it caught me off guard because I don't think anyone has ever commented on my backpack before. But I was like, oh, it's just Swiss gear. And then, you know, we talked for a little bit and it made me think like I, I went to, I think it was a Dick's Sporting Goods with uh, my mom and brother uh, Jack at some point in, it was like freshman year for me of high school, maybe, or sophomore year. I don't remember what it was, but we just bought those and they're not like cheap backpacks by any means, but I think back then they were probably like 50 bucks a piece, something like that. We had the same backpacks. I think Jack's long gone now. Mine is still going though. It was like freshman or sophomore year of high school. I bought it and started using it. So I got, you know, 14, 15 years old, something like that. Half my lifetime ago, literally half my lifetime ago. And it is still the exact same backpack. Um, nothing's really wrong with it. All the zippers work. There's like, it's, you know, been through a lot. It's been to multiple continents. It's just doing its thing. It's been on just a million flights. So shout out to the Swiss gear backpack. Probably the like greatest value I've ever achieved out of any item I've purchased in terms of like how much it costs versus the usage I've got out of it. I mean, that baby comes on the train with me every single day. There's a, especially, a, you know, pre COVID going to work, I would like sometimes bring my laptop home and, you know, ha used to have to have a backpack. Sometimes not. Now it's every single day I bring my laptop home that just changed during COVID. Um, so every single day it's, it's working, it's doing stuff only ever gets a break on some weekends but even tomorrow i have to work that baby's coming downtown with me so big shout out to swiss gear a uh, couple more things here and then we'll finish with trivia pockets with zippers especially as a runner when you can have um you you can like put your keys in a pant pocket and then also zip it up that's huge or even just me because i'm so like um ocd is not the adjective i want to use but like Anal, I guess there's a better word I'm trying to come up with, but like, do I always have my wallet, always have my keys, always have my phone? Um, so having zippers with pockets, pretty clutch. And anytime I am wearing shorts or pants where my uh, pockets have a zipper, I will throw in the phone, throw in the wallet, throw in the keys, whatever, and zip those puppies up. Those things are always up. Even one of my, uh, my uh, as Rachel would call it, my Indiana Jones jacket because it's tan colored. That has zippers, and I take advantage of that as well. I will say this is interesting. I have one pair of running pants. It does have the zipper pocket. And I've noticed that when I run, because I, I used to, you know, I've only had AirPods for a year now. Rachel got them for me. I noticed when I run in those pants with my phone in my left zipper pocket or any of the zipper pockets for that matter, it cuts out the uh, Bluetooth. Not like the whole time, but it's like every three seconds. It, it gets choppy. And I don't, I've, I've experimented around like what happens if I don't zip, what happens if I don't zip at all, uh, halfway zip, um, and you get kind of varying results, but it's my only pair of pants that does that. I can't tell if it's just a zipper thing. It doesn't really make sense that the zipper would completely block it. Right. I was, I Google searched it online. It's like, well, if it has to cross through your body, well, it's, uh, it's doing the same thing as any other pair of pants I wear. So I don't really understand We'll keep researching it. We got three more here. The Cats versus Dogs movie. You guys remember that one? What is that, like 2002, 2003, something like that? 
it really was the golden age of live action animals that could talk. Um, Stuart Little comes to mind was the, the cat Snowball voiced by Nathan Lane. But Cats vs. Dogs was a really kind of low budget movie where the kid like stumbles into his the basement of the house and it's like a secret dog FBI headquarters or something. It's something like that. And they're in this like big war with the cats. And the only thing I really remember from that, that movie is uh, there's a scene where the cat like secretly buys the kid and his parents a ticket to a soccer match. And it's just like the two most random countries. It's like Equatorial Guinea versus Chile or something. And they show up, they're driving to like the parking lot. And they show up and it's like a setup. The parking lot attendant is actually a cat and they get kidnapped. And uh, I, I am, I am because I didn't, uh, it just is one of those things that popped in my head when I was on my run today and I had to write it down. Cats versus dogs trailer. Save that for later because I'm going to watch it and see just how outlandish this thing was. Uh, penultimate item here, Wonka. It's going to be, it's going to be bad. It's going to be rough. Timothy Chalamet, Hugh Grant plays an Oompa Loompa. I don't understand, but I'm grateful for it because I'm a total Wonka freak. Give me all your everlasting gobstoppers, your Augustus Gloops. I always wanted to be in that room they go into first in the, the chocolate factory where everything in there is edible. It's such a nice green pasture with like cool flowers and stuff and chocolate river and man if they took maybe augustus gloop knew something more than we did because maybe after he got sucked up into that pipe he just got to spend the rest of his day in that that room eating candy doesn't sound so bad frankly but huge wonk ahead over here i don't know when it comes out but maybe uh soon i suppose and then finally because i again something random that popped into my head but I did watch the full like three and a half minute YouTube video of this before we started recording just now. American Idol finale shows. I was watching, uh, oh, hello, Rachel. Hello. Who's your favorite ever American Idol winner when you were growing up? Hmm. While you're thinking about that, I'll just, yeah. Carrie Underwood, okay, that's a good one, yeah. What was her like final song, do you have any idea? I don't remember her like, who was her runner-up in that season? I mm. that's, that's okay. That's like something I used to be able to recall all the way through, you know, season eight or whatever when I stopped watching, but like who all the runner-ups were. Carrie Underwood. It wasn't, uh, I don't remember at all. I'll think of it in a little bit here. But those American Idol finale shows were crazy. They were like two hours long. They would put them in like the Kodak Theater, which is where they host the Oscars and stuff. And it was just, you know, they'd have special guest performances. There was that one season where they had the uh, the bikini girl did her audition, and the good judge, Kara uh, Gugino or whatever her name was, she was a judge for like two seasons. She came out in a bikini, and the crowd went wild. Um, but those those finale shows, they'd all it'd be like fifteen minutes in. And Ryan Seacrest would bring the two finalists up, and they'd be like, okay, everyone, hold your breath. Here we go. We're going to announce the winner after seven more commercial breaks, and then they'd literally do another hour and a half of a show. 
and then it would just be, you know, it would just be, that would be the show. So, okay, here we go. To, to wrap it up here before we get to trivia, because now it's stuck in my head, Carrie Underwood. Um, let's see. 2005. Let's see. What did she sing? She dominated the voting by a large margin per one of the producers after the fact. During the finale, she sang Bless the Broken Road by Rascal Flatts. Okay, but this didn't tell me who was actually... Oh, American Idol Season 4 performances and results. Wikipedia coming in clutch. They know what I'm looking for. Top two. Bo Bice. There we go. That's what I was looking for. Bo Bice. Real name, Harold Elwin Bice Jr. Born 1975. Let's see how this uh, Wikipedia article is doing. Post-Idol. Better than some... He has three albums, 2005, 2007, and 2010. Boy, I think we could have told you Bo Bice's uh, uh, career was trending in the wrong direction when his his third album came out in 2010. It was just called Three. And it sold 11,000 albums in the United States. That feels like not very much. 2010 is kind of the end of the Bo Bice... um, Wikipedia entry with one exception in 2013 by saying the Star Spangled Banner at the NASCAR Feed the Children 300 in Sparta, Kentucky. So we're now 10 years removed. Let's just do a, a last thing here. A quick Google search for Bo Bice. See, does anything come up here? He does still have an official artist site that is active. Oh, you got to go to BoBice.com and look at this picture. That's a hell of a hat with the glasses. That's good stuff right there. The uh, the thing they're promoting, this is almost as bad as BeanTownPodcast.com. The, the top thing they're promoting on BullBice.com is uh, Concerts on the Porch, Saturday, July 15th, 2023. So um, Bastille Day is what they're pushing there on that poster. I guess that was uh, four months ago, okay? So it's not – that could be way worse. But um, there we go. BullBice, what a guy. The website is really just a lot of like – pictures of him sometimes he's sometimes he's singing sometimes he's not this is a this is very much like a Bo Bice made this at 2 a.m in the morning kind of website good for him though for for keeping up with it um I you know it's not like hey you get second place in American Idol then you have a, a career for life uh that's not how that really works I that's always to be honest like how I assumed life worked when I was a kid but then you see like Taylor uh Hicks wins American Idol and you know, his Wikipedia article probably stopped after like 2006. So this stuff happens. Okay, let's finish up here with our Thanksgiving trivia. It's going to be one of those trivia questions that you just kind of have to take a wild stab at. You can't really reason it out. Um, yeah, but I just came across it today. I thought it was kind of interesting. The first ever Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. There's there, it's, there's two things, and both of them are just wild guesses. But you see how close you can get. First ever Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade took place in this year, okay? There's question number one. And I guess a clue I could give you would be Roaring. If we were playing that, uh, whatever the name of that uh, espionage game is, where it's like you have to do word association and your partner has to try to guess the words you were describing with the one word, code code words, I think is what it's called. Um, so there's your clue. I mean, that probably gives you a 10-year span that you can guess in 
so take your guess. Here it is. Uh, the, so the bonus question is more interesting, I think. The year was 1924, and this is really fascinating to me. So I think it was the first three years of it. There were no balloons in the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. It was still a parade, however. So what... What, who, what, who essentially walked in this parade? It was not people carrying balloons, and your other clue is it wasn't people at all. There you go. So no balloons in the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, but this instead. Okay, if you uh, need a little bit more time, go ahead and pause. But the answer is animals from the Central Park Zoo. And I'll be honest, I didn't do additional research on this, but I want to later because it's interesting. The parade, Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade from 24 to 27, I think it was, first three or four, just animals. Excuse me, I guess you had to have people. I said it wasn't people. You probably had to have people walking the tigers and the giraffes and the lice. But, yeah, it was animals that they got from the Central Park Zoo to do this stuff. Walking all the way from the Brooklyn Bridge to Yankee Stadium. Uh, the Polo Grounds, actually, before Yankee Stadium. So pretty cool stuff. There you go. That's your Bean Tom Podcast trivia question of the day. Everyone, happy Thanksgiving. Uh, email us, beantompodcast at yahoo.com. Let us know what are you thankful for. Go listen to Thanksgiving theme by... Uh, Vince Guaraldi, rest in peace. And I've been listening to a lot of B.G. Adair lately, rest in peace. She was a great Nashville jazz pianist who died uh, last year. Um, she's uh, kind of, in my opinion, like the heir apparent to Oscar Peterson in terms of like she finds all those great American songbooks, Jerome Kern and, you know, Sinatra and, and all that stuff. And she puts them into, you know, jazz piano form. Just trios, right? Just her, her bassist and her drummer. But she's spectacular. Uh, she was a great artist, dressed in peace as well. Uh, go listen if you want a suggestion. Uh, BG Dare, I got two. Uh, New York, New York, obviously you know that song. And then Old Man River, uh, which is probably one of the most famous like great American songs of all time. It's from uh, Showboat, I think, by Jerome Kern. So good stuff there, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving. Have some trip to fan. Have some turkey. Uh, watch the Vikings game Sunday night against the Broncos uh, and uh, do some Black Friday shopping. We'll come at you with a new episode sometime next week. Maybe preview some Black Friday deals after the fact. I don't know. Could be fun. Everyone stay safe. Stay sane. Cue up that outro music. I will check in on you later. Bye. Bye.